You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 127. Enrollment is officially open for the April 2023 Digital Marketing Bootcamp. We're taking all the strategies that we use for our clients and teaching the frameworks we use to drive online visitors and foot traffic from Google and social media, build up an email list of paying customers, send campaigns that sell and run ads on Facebook and Google that generate thousands of dollars in sales each month. Plus, we're going to cover two of the hottest topics facing game stores over the coming months and years. First being accessibility, making sure you and your business are protected from the slew of ADA-related lawsuits impacting the industry. We're going to go over how to make sure your website is accessible and compliant, but also how to protect yourself from any concern. The second being the recent advent of AI, the release of ChatGPT, and how you can leverage this exciting new tool to make your SEO and content creation more effective and easier. It's going to be four weeks, eight sessions of live over-the-shoulder training, value-packed 90-minute sessions, Tuesdays and Thursdays each week, plus a little Q&A at the end of each show. In case you need a little more incentive, bootcamp attendees that go on to become Metaverse Marketing Agency clients in the future will get the price of the bootcamp discounted on the program. We're keeping the bootcamp small, so sessions can have the maximum impact, so if you do want to be one of the five attendees of the next bootcamp and score an early bird discount, now is your time to join us. Go to metaversaudit.com forward slash bootcamp and enroll today. All right, welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. As always, you can find the links and notes mentioned in today's episode at ManiverseSaga.com. And today I have with me one Miriam Alhamami. She is the owner of The Game Chest, a game network with four locations in Torrance, California. And we're going to talk about, exactly like I said in the intro, what it takes to get to the point where you have four locations. Very excited to get into uh, into the story about how you built this business and how you've grown it to the, the, the size that it has. Because most people, or most of the guests that I've had on the podcast... Uh, you know, either just getting started out, one location, that's the vast majority of game store owners. This is something unique. So I'm very excited to dive into this. Thank you for jumping into the podcast with me. The first place we want to get started, because obviously you're you're so far into this journey with your business. Let's pull it back. Let's uh, Let's go back a few years to the beginning and talk about the origin story of the game chest and the origin story of how you got into this industry. Why? game why game stores why the game business what brought you to where you are today i was working at microsoft six years ago and i my daughter didn't want to move to redmond so we live here in or we lived in ladera ranch and she didn't want to move anymore with microsoft so i started looking at alternatives and i start i started with a startup that had a game store um and I really liked the thought of gaming. I thought I didn't like the execution that was happening, but I really liked the thought of of owning a game store and really being able to make it my vision. And I met my business partner um, over drinks one night and told her what my vision was. And Karen was like, "Let's do it." And so we opened our first store. Um, six years ago this month, actually. Oh, well, congratulations. It's kind of like a birthday. It is. Yeah. We so tell me about your vision. What was the difference? I'm, I'm sure there, I'm sure the execution gap that you saw in other stores, I'm, I'm guessing most of the listeners completely know what you're talking about there. What was, uh, what, what was the different vision that you're bringing to the table? Um, that I didn't feel comfortable being in, in a game store as a mom or as a woman it didn't feel it didn't feel like the right fit for me oftentimes and i would be so fortunate when i would be when i'd be traveling and i'd find that game store that was super welcoming super inclusive and so i remembered what that feeling was like and that's what i wanted to bring to to our local game store so i really focused on um, building up a community of where everyone felt welcome and it helped that we were we were women but even in just the hiring, making sure that we hired the right people so that um, our employees look like the community um, that mm -hmm. is serving. 
And um, I think we've done that. We've managed to, you know, make it so that the children are super excited to come in in the mornings um, and their moms are, are happy to stay and participate as well. So we have lots of moms who play Pokemon now. So how do you, like, just jump into that, how do you create an environment that makes it so that parents and moms in particular want to play and participate as well and rather than just, yeah, go, go have fun, kids? I think at the beginning it was policing the, um, policing the area and policing the gameplay and making sure that everybody was, re that we were really upfront about what we expected as far as um, how we played together, how we talked to each other, how we communicated while we were playing the games. And that in order to have an inclusive, friendly atmosphere, we have to act like we are um, in our grandmother's house, right? Like we have to really um, focus on making sure that we, we aren't cursing, um, that we all learn how to play together nicely, um, that you know, there's good teams, teamwork, good sportsmanship. Um, and what's really important is that no matter what you want your business to look like or feel like, if you don't have the people there, then it's not inclusive. So it's really about attracting the people and then making them feel comfortable because there's nothing better than walking into a place and seeing or feeling people that are, that are similar to you. And that is not something that every game store, uh, you know, accomplishes. It's, it's a, it can be challenging to get into this space already, right? As somebody, as a consumer looking into what it would take to, you know, maybe you've heard about Dungeons and Dragons, or maybe you've heard about magic, or maybe you've heard about Pokemon, but there's so many cards, there's so much history and there's so many rules and it's just, you know, maybe it's just easier to go pick up a video game or something like that, or many alternatives that you could choose to, uh, to do. But if you make it easy enough and approachable enough, then people are willing to, to figure it out, to get used to it, to understand things and actually find out that, Hey, they really like this stuff. And teaching people that come in how to play, right. Doing the learn to plays always like often really helps as well because once a mom can kind of get the understanding of what Pokemon is all about, um, then it's so much easier to have conversations with her child um, and to understand the point. excitement that the child has for uh, Pokemon because they have a little bit of the backstory or they understand, you know, what all those numbers mean um, on the cards. And if I've done my job really well, then they start playing with their, with their child, which that's how I got into Pokemon um, 25 years ago is my son wanted to play and he didn't have anyone to play. And so I had to learn how to play it um, with him. And, um, and I'm still playing Pokemon today, 25 years later. <laughs> That's great to hear. And like, it's funny because my, my son's also getting into Pokemon now. He's just turned eight. He, a couple of years ago, he started, you know, getting on the bandwagon. Pokemon was exciting and it's cool. And, and now he's really interested in like collecting the cards and opening booster packs. And it's fun going through that experience with him and be like, I've, I know all about this stuff, right? But now I get to share it with the person that I'm excited about. But I can, I can also see it being the reverse when I was a child and I was trying to like explain to my parents, hey, there's this game that, you know, magic, it's really exciting. I love this game. It's wizards and dragons and all this stuff. And just the blank stare of like, oh yeah, that's great. Well, that's great, honey. You know, like, but if somebody were, if they were able to match my excitement, I could totally see, the experience being that much more fun and, and interesting. It's really interesting that you are able to uh, create that community experience for the parents that then creates that for the kids as well. Was that the way things were done at the beginning? Like if we go back to like year one, year two, you know, one location, just getting started, was that how you kicked things off? It is. We started with Pokemon because that's what I knew um, the most. I hadn't played magic in a few years and we really, we really focused on going out to the schools and getting kids um, to come and do after school programs and bringing their parents in to pick them up and really, really just focusing on the kids um, was how we started. And then once we felt like we had a handle on it, um, then we started branching out into Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! And then Dragon Ball. Um, and then I became a, a real game star. <laughs> I look, I look non-intimidating because 50% of my store is toys. So as a parent walks into my store, it's not an overwhelming feeling of all this stuff that they have no idea what it's about. Um, they're going to see 
just regular toys that they see at Target um, in my store. And the deeper you get in the store, um, the, the more different it becomes um, until you get to the back of the store where, you know, I have D&D and magic and all the um, normal things you'd see in a game store. Yeah, the, the deeper hobby items. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. I can see that as kind of like an on-ramp. You know, you walk into the space and, you know, there's the the typical game store, the traditional game store idea of one anyways. The gamer dungeon where it's just tables and some counters with some cards underneath the, the display cases. And, you know, for somebody who's uh, maybe never been in that space before, it can feel like you're walking into a new world, right? And you don't know what to do. You don't know who you should talk to. You don't really know what you're supposed to be doing. Are you here to shop? You know, like what's going on, right? But if you have it so that you walk in and the first thing you see is something that you've seen before, right? You've seen all these toys. You know exactly what this is about. This is a toy store first. That is very approachable. That's easy. Everybody knows what that's all about. Kids are happy to come and just browse, look around. And then you gradually kind of introduce them to some of the more complex items in the back as they kind of get more comfortable with the space. It's kind of like this, the physical space represents the customer journey as they kind of like learn what's going on. That's, that's very cool. Exactly. That's exactly how I do it. Even with the board games, I start with um, very traditional games, Monopoly, Clue, Risk, all, every game that you played as a child. And it evokes that emotion, um, first of all, uh, because everyone has great memories or most everyone has great memories of playing one of those games as a kid. And so it immediately sets up a good feeling. Um, and then if you're interested in harder games, you know, it's a great point to ask, is this all the games you have? Um, but if not, it's a great place for them to start browsing and thinking about what kind of games they could play with their family. What were those early years like? How did things develop? How did you get to the point where you said, okay, things are going great. We've established a good community where business is rolling. Let's look at a new location. Let's look at a second spice. Like, what was that transition like? So our first location was in a strip mall. So in a, a very normal place for a board game store. Mm -hmm. And we had been there six months when a mall approached us about having a pop-up Christmas store within the mall. And we were doing well. We had, we had exceeded expectations for the first six months of business. And um, we felt like we could stretch ourselves to open that just a pop-up store for a couple of months um, in the local mall. So that's how we got the second location. And it went amazingly. Like the mall location hadn't seemed like a right fit for a game store when I, um, when I was envisioning it. But it worked so well. Like within weeks, we had people playing in our in our stores, and I had to get more tables. And we really started building a community. And so when Christmas ended, um, they asked if I wanted to stay longer, and I did. <laughs> so we signed a year lease to see how it would how it would work. So for a while there, we had two stores, um, pretty far apart, Torrance and Mission Viejo. But Same. it worked. It worked well. I'm sure it did. The idea of, of growing into, like, especially the holiday season, uh, you know, it's kind of like gangbusters for, for the industry, right? Everyone's uh, spending money in game stores leading up into Christmas. So the fact that you turn that into a long-term position is a really interesting idea. So that, so that was what my concerns were, was would people come into a mall, park, have to walk in, um, to play games and they will, if you give them the right motivation and the right motivation being a clean, you know, neat, welcoming, inclusive store that they want to play in. And very soon within four or five months, we were a friendly local game store. Um, even though we were in the middle of the fifth largest mall in America. For the most part, you think of game stores as the small business, right? Malls are like kind of kind of big time in a sense. Like there's there's higher rent and bigger expenses, but and, and they can be kind of intimidating because they're more of a mainstream space. And I think a lot of store owners kind of veer away from that and kind of cater towards more of the niche audience. Are you finding that 
because of the space or is it because of the nature of the way that you've kind of created the culture of your business? Is that why it works in the mall? Like, what do you think the secret is there? I think it's diversification. I, um, I'm fortunate enough to where we've moved several times within the, that mall, but we are now 8,000 square feet, which is huge, huge for a game store. But we carry, we carry everything. So it's all about diversification. Every, no matter what age your child is, we have the toy for them. We have toys that uh, evoke memories that are, are kickback toys, like old Fisher-Price um, toys that you, grandparents see and remember buying it for their kids. Um, and it's being able to say um, with, fair, with, with a great deal of certainty that there is one product in my store for every single person. Like there, and that really helps being in a mall with all of the foot traffic um, because you're capturing, you know, everybody who comes in. Um, there's something for them to, to want to buy. Um, but you have to kind of balance that with having a safe space for people to play. So my stores are split like down the middle so that the one side is, is the toys and, and the mainstream type products. And the other side is the gaming and the collectibles and the anime and all the things that you would typically find in a, in a game store. How much floor space? Like what, what is the, the gaming area or the, the play space? How much does that factor into uh, the general model? We have 40, we have enough seating for 48 people in my largest store. The other stores, it's usually 24 to 30. And like is, is uh, organized play like a big portion of the way that you kind of promote things or is it sort of a just come in and bring in your stuff and, and enjoy the space? Like how does, how do you approach that? We do both. Um, we have, we, we play a ton of D and D like there are, we're now doing D and D at like three o'clock in the afternoon and 11 in the morning um, just because we've run <laughs> out of space and time for um for D and D, and that is done in in two different ways. It's done either with a, a DM that comes in and has it has a group, and um, we charge five dollars for each person, and that money goes into a a pool so that the DMs don't have to spend their money. You know, um, so if they need a new book or need a new character, that there's a there's a fund for them, or we do it ourselves. Um, I have lots of employees who run a lot of campaigns. And those are more, um, $15, but they tend to be towards the kids. So you're getting the kids involved. We have multiple children D&D campaigns going on right now, um, which if you've never experienced one um, and want to see what chaotic evil looks like, like that's <laughs> what you need to, to listen. I can hear them from my office. And I, I tell you, I don't get any work done for that three hours because I'm just listening to their, um, to their responses to the DM. And the absurd actions that are happening in the story, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Eight-year-olds, um, they, they, they'll throw their friend off a cliff for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they embody chaos in a lot of ways, which is, uh, yes. which is fun, which is fun. But, it uh, is fun. And that... And that sets the stage the laughter and the 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 screaming and the just the the excitement um that the kids are experiencing when they're in their playing um kind of sets the whole tone for the store i like that it's kind of like the ambiance the background music you know you can choose choose the soundtrack but if if the soundtrack is children's laughter and just the sounds of enjoyment that's pretty much the perfect environment for a game store Yes. Like nothing really sells games better than seeing somebody having fun with the thing, having the great experience with the thing. Yeah. And it's easy to explain to a customer um, when they do come in and are like, we're looking for Dungeon and Dragon stuff. Like, I don't understand any of it. And I can, I can point to a table and say, this is what they're playing. You know, um, this is what they're experiencing. Um, you know, listen to them or, you know, stand in and spend some time listening to the, to the campaign and that will help you. And it really does help them understand why um, their child or their husband, you know, is interested in it. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would be an easy way to figure out what everyone else is doing, slide into it, and maybe try it out yourself. 
So how did you go from two locations to three to four? Like how, how was the expansion process like mapped out? Is that what you always wanted when you first started that you thought like, we're going to be a multi-location franchise? No. When I first started, I was like, I'm going to open one store um, and, and be happy, like kind of like a pseudo retirement. Um, but unfortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, both <laughs> me and my business partner are definitely type A personalities. So once we had one, you know, pretty perfect, and then the second one um, was doing so well, um, the, another mall, you know, came and said, would you come to our mall? So we went to the Irvine Spectrum which was a completely different type of mall. Um, and so? again, well, it's, it, it, it's outdoors, which is, which is nice, but it's so sprawling and so busy. Um, it's a, it's, it's definitely um, a higher income per capita, higher, you know, it's, it's a triple A plus 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 mall. Um, so it has a completely different way of, of us having to do business because we have to, we have to portray ourselves as a triple A store, which means, mm. you know, very neat, very clean, very organized. Um, so that was, we had to kind of pivot um, some of the things that we were doing to incorporate the feel of Irvine. And it's a different, um, it's a different demographic as well. So we had to look at, changing our demographics within the store, hiring um, based on the demographics of, of that local area. How different are, how different is each location? Like does the brand follow through through each one or do you feel like they're all kind of separate, independent and unique stores? The brand is there. We carry um, similar products in each store, but it's very definitely skewed to Irvine is, is really high in education because they're, they're really focused in Arcadia and Irvine in education. Um, and the parents are always looking for educational type toys or board games. So I really focus heavily on, on that. Um, Dungeon and Dragons, Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, that is all the same regardless of where the location is. But it's the, the other part of the store, the toys and the... Um, whether it's like in Torrance, anime is one of our top three every day um, in collectibles mm -hmm. and anime um, where it's not at the other stores and it's just the demographic. So it's really about listening to your customer. Um, if a customer asks, if the customer asks for, if three different customers ask for the same thing, then I bring it into the store. Um, and so I kind of really focus on what they're asking for and the store appearances have to be different. Um, different customers, um, react, dif react differently to a linear store or, a, a store that is like a bazaar, like some people can't shop in chaos. Um, and, yeah. uh, so it's, it's really about trying to make sure that you're being the right kind of store for your neighborhood. Do you have uh, like systems in place? I guarantee you do have systems in place. The question is more, do you have a way of uh, a codified way of taking in that information? Cause I imagine you're not having these conversations yourself. You're probably busy you know, running this multi location business, right? So how do you, how do you train and build this system into you, you know, your, your business so that it's happening consistently across all all facets. We, um, for this particular thing, we do it the old fashioned way. We have a notebook, um, right by the register and they just write it down. Um, and then when I'm visiting the stores, then I take a look at what they're asking for. Now, if there's something new and hot that's come on the mar market, then mm -hmm. we have a, an internal, um, discussion boards and we'll, they'll start talking about it. Like, wait, you know, we, we had 10 people ask us for this. Um, we really need to get this product in. Very important information to realize, to, to know is that, you know, having systems in place is the only way that you can kind of get to the point where obviously you are at, at this stage. Cause you know, it's all about the team, right. That you've built that kind of has allowed you to do this without the team. It'd be very difficult to do, to, to manage four spaces on your own. Right. The team is the, is, is the most important part of, of our company. Um, and you're right. We would not be, we'd still be with our first store um, if I didn't have a good team um, supporting me. 
for somebody who's thinking, hey, this sounds great. Like I would love to, at some point in the future, I would love to grow into a second location, third location. What would they need to think about in order to get to that point? What would they, what do they need to look out for in terms of people to hire and skill set and that kind of stuff? I always say that um, that I can train anybody on any process, um, that you have to hire for passion first. So it's the passion that my employees have for the store and for the games that is the most critical because then I don't need to be there to monitor them or to ensure that they're, they're talking about our brand the right way um, because they, they live and breathe it. They're going to mm-hmm. tell me like, you know, even more than I can tell them, like how the brand is working and how, um, what the customers need, because they really care about the store. And that's what you need in order to move to, to a second location is you have to be able to either leave your first store in really, really good hands, or be able to bring that staff, that seasoned staff to that second location in order to um, grow the business. Great advice. And I think that's something that every game store owner should be thinking about at some point, even when you're just starting out, that at some point, you know, you don't want to be the only person in your business forever. Preferably, ideally, you want to have somebody come in and start taking over different processes and different tasks and then growing that into something that you can oversee, right? Instead of, as the old adage of you want to be able to work on your business rather than in your business. Exactly. And it gives them the opportunity to grow and um, to make more money and to have a career. And if I can offer that to people who've been already, who are already loyal to me, then that's a win-win for both of us. Absolutely. So what does your day-to-day look like? Like, you know, you're obviously not on the the ground floor anymore. You're higher up. You've got people under you. You've got, how many, how many employees do you, do you have on your team at the moment? 50. Okay. Yeah. That's quite a team. So what, what, what is uh, the day-to-day of uh, of Miriam look like? It's mostly is ordering. Um, We, our volume is so high that I feel Mm -hmm. like I spend all day just ordering. Um, and responding to, you know, employees questions or, but it's, it's ordering or being on the floor, putting the product out, um, as we get new product in, especially when I, when I'm, um, branching out to new items, like really making sure that they're merchandised correctly. And just, I try to stay in my store every day. Um, even if it's just in the office, at least I'm there. Um, and so that way I, when I hear, when I hear a familiar voice, I can walk out and greet, um, you know, our, our customers and make sure that I'm still touching the business every day. That my business partner does the same thing for the Irvine store. She tries to touch base every day. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's very important no matter how far, well, no matter how far up you go and how much distance you put between you and like the, you know, the basic processes of the sales and the transactions and the merchandising, the operation that you need to be in touch. You still need to be connected with what's happening at the customer level in order to be able to know, you know, what you should be doing and how the, how the business is actually doing. That's how you you take the pulse of what's happening. Yeah. Even um, the other two stores that I don't get to as often, it's, it's harder to pivot um, because it takes me a little while to, to actually see the direction that it's going into just because we're not there every day. So it's even more important in those cases to have really strong leadership so that you can, um, you can see the issues um, before they become issues. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If you want to stay ahead of the curve, you need to be near the front of the boat. Yeah. Yes. So what are some of the tougher lessons that you've learned over the, the six years? What are some of the challenges that you've encountered that you've overcome? Oh, you can't trust everyone. <laughs> Mm. It's probably the biggest one. Um, you know, when you hire people, you, um, and you hire for the passion, it's easy to be blindsided by, you know, um, reality. So really making sure that at least for the first 90 days, um, that you are observant and, and, and teaching and kind, like I, I try not to treat anybody like they're, it's like they're bad from the beginning, but really just observing them and 
and spending time making sure that your decision is right because one one bad apple you know they say spoils the whole bunch and it's true when there was an employee especially one who is angry or frustrated or um it really sets the tone for the rest of the staff and it's not fair um to put somebody who doesn't fit in with the rest of the group it if you if you're, you need to pay attention because it being at work should be fun. It should be fun and it should be rewarding and it should be something that you look forward to. And part of that is who you work with, right? Yeah, absolutely. The team, like the coherency, the the people, the synergy of the team matters as much as the individual members. And the idea of, of having somebody coming in and I'm going to use a polite word, I want to say taint, corrupt, take, you know, like, <laughs> Something along those lines can be just as dangerous or as costly or as problematic as somebody coming in and stealing. Exactly. It, even more so because I, um, when I didn't recognize it, we lost people who, who left the company because of this toxic um, behavior that we didn't see because we, we weren't there on a day-to-day -day basis to really observe the interactions. So now the way we've, we're trying to overcome that is to really have a lot more one-on-one -on -one conversations, especially now that we have 50 people. So really spending time talking to everyone and making sure everybody knows that our doors are open and please make sure to um, come to us with anything and just being far more approachable um, than we might've been when we were, you know, cause you're growing the business and you're always busy. So taking a few minutes to, yeah, to, just to have conversations, just to, just to interact on a, on a personal one-on-one -on -one basis. Are there any red flags that you've noticed that, you know, like common patterns that you might see from somebody during those conversations that you think that maybe that's someone to watch out for, or maybe they're not going to be a good fit. Like, how do you, how do you pick the, pick that apart and really see where the, uh, see where they're going? See, it's really hard because people are individuals um, and they can be super polite to you. Though, so maybe that's a red flag. The more polite they are to you, um, the overly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you should watch what they're doing. But, and listen, really, it's about listening and watching interactions. Because if you have that one person who isn't fitting in with the rest of them, then that's a red flag. Um, on one way or the other, either, either your team is deliberately not wanting to engage with them. And it could be, it could be one way or the other. It could, you can't always assume that your team, no matter how much you know them, isn't engaged in bullying activities or, or just mm -hmm. being unkind. Um, cause you know, you get someone who's a little different. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to learn how to connect with them. But hopefully that's what I'm teaching in my stores is that we're all different. We all come from different backgrounds. We, we mm -hmm. all have different beliefs, but we um, can come together on the passion of, of gaming. Yeah. There's a place that we can meet all together as peers that hopefully we can find a common ground on. Yes. And kind of push forward and work towards the same goals. Exactly. And I've made mistakes like going into malls that I probably shouldn't have gone into or, um, but I am careful. So I do very short-term leases and that way I can pivot quickly and move into a different mall. Um, but there's been a couple of, of malls that just weren't quite the right fit for us. And we've now closed, we had five stores. We closed our Mission Viejo one that was in the strip mall because we found that the malls, are a better fit for us. Like they really allow us to grow and to um, make more money, which at the end of the day, you know, um, is what allows us to keep having the community. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a very important lesson that every game store owner should learn, or at least like take to heart, is that I me, mean, you making money, like personally, you yourself, you know, earning a living, doing what you do is important, but the business making money, being profitable, is what allows the community to have a place to play. Like that's what 
you know, if you're sacrificing yourself and, and undercutting and doing all the, uh, the silly business practices that a lot of newer store owners kind of like come into the, into the industry with, you're only really cutting your own throat and you're making sure that the people that you're trying to serve aren't going to have a place to play in the long term. So agree with that. Um, I, I, it frustrates me when I hear that we're doing it for the community um, because yeah. you're not doing it for the community long term. Yeah. Um, if you can't um, support your store, um, then there is no community. So you really have to make good choices for everyone. And that means having fair prices, uh, you know, fair prices, but prices that will allow you to continue doing business. What do you think would be one of the more important things for store owners to like think about right now? You know, we're in March of 2023 as of this moment. Where do you think people should be focusing their attention on? What's the what's some of the more important uh, you know strategies or qualities or you know concepts or ideas or products? What what should store owners be looking towards right now? I think if you're a typical game store, that you should really look at diversification. Um, have finding those toys that um, and it's amazing finding the toy that somebody who plays magic will buy, and that can be any toy. You can have a dad who is in picking up his new commander deck and they'll buy a rattle um, and a coloring book because they have children at home. So, but really focused on, on diversifying as the uncertainty of the next, you know, six months is still pretty present. Mm -hmm. um, we really don't know, you know, where we're going as a country, right? Um, does it look like we're going to have a recession? Probably not. But does it look like we might have be penny pinching for a little while? Yes. So I'm looking at um, diversifying, like purchasing something for everyone and really focusing on that middle tier so that um, I have products that people can afford. I like that a lot. I think the idea of, of diversification doesn't get talked about enough in this business. And I think there's a lot of game stores who don't really consider toys to be kind of like part of the industry. It's not who they are, but there's a lot of overlap and it makes sense to, if you want to attract mainstream customers and you want to, you know, you want to have more foot traffic, you want to have people who are not just gamers, just hardcore gamers come to your shop. You need to offer them something that they want. Yeah. And it can be something as simple as, um, you know, we, we work a lot with, with, adults and kids who are neurodivergent, right? Who, mm -hmm. um, and though, just keeping those toys that could fit that demographic, right? Having all the fidgety type things and puzzly type things and things that, that would attract that type of person, it is, is a smart move to make. Even if you're not looking at what their, what their husband or child wants, if you're just looking at that particular customer, they're buying their fidgety things from somewhere. And it might as well be your store while they're already in your store. Oh, a great lesson, a great thing to emphasize, I think, is 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 the idea that people want to buy from you. People are, or your customers are there. They want to spend money with you a lot of the time. And if you have things on offer beyond just those core elements of the things that we think of as a game store, uh, the possibilities of what could be done or what could be, what your business could be, and maybe expanding that vision a little bit is something that, uh, that a lot of store owners should be considering. I want to shift to marketing a little bit. I'm curious because you've got so many locations. Do you do marketing in the sense of like, do you do a lot of advertising? Do you put a lot of uh, energy and time and effort into spreading the word? Or is that mostly taken care of because you're in such a high traffic, high, uh, high foot traffic kind of uh, situation with the malls and all that? It really is. I don't do a lot of... Um marketing at all. Um, some, a little bit of Facebook ads, um, during particular times, but mostly we rely on the foot traffic at the mall. So that kind of, when, when you're budgeting, when I, when there's new stores that ask, you know, how they should budget for that first year, you know, I always talk about marketing being a huge percentage of that, but ours as our rent is higher. Um, but it kind of takes care of that marketing for us. I was curious about that because Again, like a lot of stores, most stores, I would say, aren't in a mall situation where they don't have this like almost guaranteed level of foot traffic. 
that you know you just kind of comes with being next to places like Target or you know Walmart or big anchor stores and stuff like that. But the idea of being like the the trade off of saying that I'm going to invest in this space and this location and the rent that comes along with it, and then that's kind of going to be my marketing budget in a sense. I think yes. is an is an interesting way of considering it, especially if you are a a newer store or you're looking at opening up sometime in the near future. Maybe thinking about some of your local malls as an option. If you're going to invest, you know, X number of dollars of your starting budget into like marketing expenses and getting the word out, maybe that, maybe the trade-off of putting that into a more higher foot traffic location makes sense. The question would be just figuring out, is it worth it? Is it worth the, uh, I guess, the risk of higher overhead costs, higher rent initially? I guess, that leads me to another question, I guess. So when you were talking to the malls and you were working out the, the lease situation, how, what was the negotiation like? Was it, oh, is that intimidating, right? Because of the high expenses. It's, it really is intimidating because they know exactly what they're doing and you are just starting out and have no idea how to negotiate. Um, mm -hmm. I was extraordinarily lucky. Um, they really wanted a game store in there and, and they had a, fairly cut and dried um, lease. So I didn't make any mistakes the first time because I very would definitely could have. Um, going, once we grew in Torrance to away from short-term lease to long-term lease, that's where all the pitfalls came in, right? Like mm -hmm. making sure that you have an attorney who goes over every line of the, of the lease, um, making sure that you have, you know, people in your corner who, really understand the, the legalese because once you're in a five-year lease, you know, you're stuck there. Um, and just trying to determine like how much um, tenant improvements um, that you should have for a five-year lease um, was scary the first time. Like I didn't know how much to ask for. So reaching out to every, every single person I knew um, <laughs> is how I negotiated my first big lease. Um, and I had an attorney at my side. Yeah, I think I've heard that repeated at some point in the past before that signing a larger lease, no matter the location, is or is already something that you should probably go and get expert advice for. Like it's just, you know, you uh, you wouldn't set up your LLC on your own necessarily. You probably go get somebody else to go do that for you, or you get somebody who's in that space. If you're signing a very expensive, potentially very expensive lease, uh, having somebody, a commercial broker or something like that look it over for you and give you advice is probably going to save you who knows thousands of dollars potentially, or, you know, potentially your whole business. And I say that about everything. Like, like if you're, you're going to do a marketing campaign, then, then you should really talk to a marketer. Um, if you're going to do your taxes, like you should probably have someone else do your taxes. Like it's, uh, you're an expert at what you're an expert at. Um, but there's, there's, it's not worth the few extra dollars you're saving by doing it yourself because the potential for problems is so big. And I think there, there's another concept that I've, uh, I've encountered at some point in the past about the idea of like, how much do you value your time at? As an owner, your time is very valuable, right? Like the things that you can do, like as, as important as it is at the beginning to be the janitor and to be your, the customer service person and to be the merchandise, like you kind of wear all the hats and you have to do everything all at once. Your, you know, those tasks per hour are generally fairly low value tasks that should be offloaded to somebody else that allow you to focus on the things that will generate more money for your business. Only you, like as the owner, as the co-owner, have the vision and the ability to like guide the business to five, six, seven, ten 10 locations, you know, like you, only you can expand to that. You can't really outsource that work to somebody else, but all the rest of it, the more time you spend on that, the less time you spend on, on doing the high dollar value stuff. So thinking about like, yeah, you're going to save the money on, on your doing your own accounting or whatever. Like not only do you run the risk of, of you know, potentially uh, screwing something up because it's not your uh, zone of expertise. You're not even really technically saving money because you, you know, it's hard to see that opportunity cost of what you should be doing or what you could be doing with your time elsewhere. It is. And we try to do everything ourselves at the beginning um, because we didn't have any money. Like we'd put all the money into products. Mm -hmm. um, but we we learned pretty, 
pretty early on that it was important um, for us to opt outsource to outsource the um, the pro- the things that we weren't an expert on, and that does it really did allow me then to have the bandwidth to to open up the second and third and fourth stores because I wasn't doing the accounting, I wasn't doing the marketing, um, I was hiring people to do merchandising within the stores. So it definitely um, gave me enough energy um, to look at expansions. All right. I'm guessing it probably also makes your uh, enjoyment of the day in the work probably a lot higher, right? Because instead of focusing on things that like maybe you don't want to do because you're not, it's not your skill set, you know, in struggling through it, you get to pay attention and focus on the things that like, that, you know, turn your crank that you really enjoy doing that you're good at. You get to focus on your strengths rather than trying to like make your weaknesses fit the puzzle pieces. And generally speaking, like if you want to enjoy your work, if you want to have fulfillment in your life and you want to feel like your, your business is doing something for you that beyond just making you money, something that you enjoy doing, that's how you do it. You, you work on the things that you like to do. Exactly. Because this is my passion too, right? Like building the business. Um, I definitely love being able to walk into any of the stores and, and hear laughter and, enjoy and watch people get, you know, geek out over whatever product is they're holding in their hand at the moment. Um, So being able to spend more time ordering those products, um, finding the the right product mix um, to make sure that every day my customers are happy um, is important. I want to ask a couple more questions. One of them is personal. One of them is kind of philosophical. And the first one is basically, what is the hardest part? about being a game store owner? Probably the, the hours. <laughs> okay. um, there's a lot of hours involved in it. And if it's not your passion, um, then those hours can seem tiring. Um, because I love what I do, I don't recognize that I'm working 16 hours a day. But um, I would say if you're not used to hard work, I would probably keep my day job. <laughs> Good advice and a little dose of reality for people. It helps to know what it's like and what the challenges really are, right? Especially before you, you, like you said, quit your day job to go run off and, and uh, start your own game store business. Then the, the second question is a, a question that I like to wrap up every podcast with. And it's essentially a philosophical question because the idea of what we're kind of chasing is this idea of success. And success is a really ambiguous term. It means a lot to a lot of different people. So my question is, what does success look like for you? I felt like we were successful um, when I was able to start promoting employees and paying them a living wage. I felt like then we finally hit that success button where we weren't we weren't trying to balance um, bringing product in to paying the paying our employees, and you know, being in California, we we're already high. Um, wages. So that made it even more, even more complicated to pay the people who were exceeding and excelling um, at a wage that was different than their peers. So I think that's when I really knew that we were on the road to success. Um, But for me personally, just not having to worry about where my next dinner is coming from is, is success knowing that, you know, that we're, on a, on a week to week basis, we're doing well. Um, and that I have enough money to, you know, to eat and, you know, just the regular necessities of things I'm pretty happy with. I'm not surprised to hear that your definition of success is the idea that you've got a team that you can take care of and you can reward and that you've built, you've, you've built something that contributes to their life in a positive way. And it's not just like subsistence. That makes a lot of sense based off of the conversation we just had. That uh, That's the first thing that you mentioned. And the second thing is the fact that, you know, you kind of like got yourself taken care of. I think it shows priorities and values and probably the reason why you have a 50-person team in multiple locations. Well, and it, it's, we're successful because of them. Um, so it's, it's a circular problem, right? Or it's not a circular positive. I don't know. It's not a problem, but the more successful we are is because of the work that they put in. Yeah. So then the, we should 
we should reward them because my needs are being met because they are successful as a, as a team. Yeah. You take care of your team. They take care of your customers. I have one more question, which is, do you have any piece of advice as of right now for somebody who is thinking about starting a store or they're in the very early stages, you know, just getting things rolling. What piece of advice would you give somebody who's in that stage in that situation and they want to know how they can avoid some of the pitfalls or what they should be working towards as of right now? I think the first thing they should do is go to SCORE, which if you don't know what that is, it's a it's a, an amazing program um, that was started from CEOs that reti- retired and they will for free um, really help you devise a, a business plan. And that's, I think, the very first thing you have to do. And you can't do it on your own. You have to do it with, with lots and lots of people looking at it because there's a million things that you don't think of that you need in that first year. Um, and none of them were on my, on my plan and my plan, I went through score, um, but to get our, to get my business plan. And there were still many, many things that, that they didn't realize a game store would need. Um, like tables, like who would have thought tables would be so expensive. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really about doing your homework. There's lots of um, amazing books out there about um, um, opening up a game store. Um, talk to local game store owners in your area and really, you know, pick their brain um, and listen with an open heart. Because mm-hmm. so many times you have you have your idea of what it's going to be, and it's hard for you to hear like the reality of what it's going to be like, and it's it's the best fun I've ever had. Um, and the hardest work I've ever done. Where can people go to find out more about what you're doing? How can they connect with you? We are on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok as the game chest. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. I did too. Thank you for having me. All right. That is it for today's episode of Maniverse Podcast. Do not forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. And also don't forget, the enrollment is officially open for the April 2023 Digital Marketing Weekend. We are taking all the strategies that we use for our clients, teaching the frameworks that we use to drive sales both online during the course of four weeks of over-the-shoulder hands-on training sessions. You'll learn the foundations and advanced tactics of search engine optimization, email marketing, content creation, data as a well. In case you need a little more incentive, bootcamp attendees that go on to become Manaverse Marketing Agency clients in the future will get the price of the bootcamp discounted on the program. We're keeping the bootcamp small, again, so the sessions can have the maximum impact. So if you do want to be one of the five attendees in the next bootcamp and score an early bird discount, now is the time to join us. Go to manaversesaga.com forward slash bootcamp and enroll today. Thanks again for listening to today's show. I'm Tom Trapp and I've been your host, and I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Manaverse Podcast. Thank you.